Let's open our Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 2, where the Lord has led us this Lord's Day morning with the Lord's people to consider the Lord's Word on the subject of false teachers. Let us be thankful for all that we've been shown. We are blessed abundantly. We are duty-bound and obligated to give thanks always for His choice for us to be regenerated, to hear the truth, to believe the truth. And then we ought to make sure that we stand fast and hold that truth, promoting it, defending it, as well as we are able. I read to you the first three verses of Second Peter chapter 2. The entirety of the chapter is a warning about false teachers as early as the days of the apostles and what was to come. As you heard from six passages of Scripture that were just read to you. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. Amen and amen. Amen. Let's get started right away on how we ought to look at this verse of Scripture. Jesus told the woman of Sychar, commonly known as the woman of Samaria, that God was seeking those that would worship Him in spirit and in truth. She brought up the fact that our fathers worshipped in this mountain, Mount Gerizim, You Jews think that God has to be worshipped in Jerusalem. Jesus said, woman, the hour is coming in which, you know what you're doing over in Gerizim, you guys don't even know what you're worshipping. That's what he said. And they're not going to be worshipping in truth in Jerusalem. But the Father seeks those that will worship Him in spirit and in truth. God, His ways, His will, by His Word is truth. It sets our worldview for every event of our lives and all the circumstances of the world. What is truth? Truth is God's will and God's ways revealed by God's Word about everything. Truth. And God expects to be worshipped in truth. He is to be properly identified. His worship is to be properly constrained. We are to do things His way and follow His ordinances. We are not to depart to the left hand nor to the right. We are not to add to His Word or take away from it. And the examples in the Bible of God judging men for small infractions, what we would call small infractions, show the severity of His judgment against anything else but His truth. We were given truth to our first parents in Eden. We chose a lie. That lie 
has so affected our race, our world, our universe, it's hardly comprehensible. It is universal. Men are confounded with lies and deception because of what happened in Eden. And there has been a continual war against truth. And only a few men in the history of the world have followed a course of truth, and they are called a very small remnant. We want to be part of that remnant. There is war. The Lord's allowed the war. The Lord has sent the war. The Lord has sent the famine for the words of God that I gave to you recently in an update from Amos chapter 8, verses 11 through 13. But we want to get started right that truth is absolutely essential for how God is worshipped. When God tells us something, He wants us to believe it and obey it. When He told our first parents, you may freely eat of every tree of the garden, including the tree of life. But of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Thou shalt surely die. Along comes another preacher with a slight modification to that scripture. Thou shalt not surely die. They believed it. Adam let his wife communicate with that teacher. Adam let his wife listen to that teacher. She took him down with her. And the death that is rampant around us and the confusion and the lies that are circulated everywhere are because of that belief of a lie in the beginning. Truth is God's ways and God's will found in God's Word. And it condemns all deceptions, differences, and distortions. Everything is true and formed correctly when we follow the more sure word of prophecy which was just given to us in the previous verses of chapter 1. For we have also a more sure word of prophecy. We have something sure for how to think about everything. And everything is answered in the Bible. If we can't find an answer in the Bible for your question, it's our fault, not the Bible's fault. Because the answers are there, because the Bible says that it's able to make the man of God perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Truth can be altered or even reversed with a single word of the more sure word of prophecy, like the devil showed in the Garden of Eden. The violation of truth can lead to an entire race being damned or leave you ashamed and confounded before Christ. Who wants to meet Jesus Christ believing that they're getting there by virtue of Pope Frank and Mary? The Immaculately Conceived Mary. Whenever you hear about the words of the Immaculate Conception, that is not Catholic reverence for the birth of Jesus. It means that Mary was conceived immaculately without sin. Do you know how abominable that is? She rejoiced in God her Savior when she talked to Elizabeth about the son that she was going to give birth to. Jesus was her Savior as much as He was a Savior of any other. Oh Lord, help us. Who's going to stand before the Lord and stand there and pray a Hail Mary? You know, I don't know the Hail Mary or I'd say it to you right now. Maybe I ought to memorize it. But my hard drive needs to be protected these days. That prayer of the Hail Mary says, Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Something like that. Can you believe that? There's only one I want praying for me at the hour of my death, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and His prayer will be heard, and He's the Son of the Judge that will be sitting on that throne. Our Father which is in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. I get so sick. You know, I had to be in a Catholic institution this past week. Every room had a crucifix on the wall. There were, there were statues of all over the place. That stinking crucifix, I wanted to be a, a vandal. I wanted to destroy. But I didn't. Mark your calendars. That stinking crucifix everywhere. Those rosaries everywhere. 55 beads to be prayed three times for 165 prayers. 150 Hail Marys and 15 Our Fathers. Does that tell you who they pray to? But ask a Catholic. Walk up to a Catholic and say, I heard that you people worship Mary. We don't worship Mary. Well, then why do you pray ten times more to her than you do to God? That's what the Bible calls opposing themselves. They need God to grant them repentance so that they may be delivered from the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Lord, The Lord saved us from that. If anybody calls me father today, they better have some DNA connection to me. You know, we just don't do that. It's just amazing. Yeah. I need to look at that stinking thing. You know, it, it hurts me to... But I'm glad that the Lord Jesus Christ is not on a cross and He doesn't look like that poor creature that's hanging on that stinking thing. He's at the right hand of God and He's coming again and He has a special affection for Catholics and their religion. He's going to tear it to shreds. Just read the Bible. You had it read to you last Lord's Day from Daniel chapter 7 about the Son of Man approaching the Ancient of Days and throwing that beast to the burning flame. What is a beast? Is it the head of the United Nations? No, it is a kingdom against God. And the kingdom that's thrown to the, to the burning flame is a kingdom that was alive, it received a deadly wound, and then it came back to life again. Pagan Rome was destroyed in 476 by the Ostrogoths, and it came back to life in the Roman Catholic Church and it dominated Europe for 1,260 years and persecuted our brethren and fathers in the faith. But Jesus Christ is coming back, and those martyrs that are under the throne of God, and we sang it in one of our songs. Did you notice the quotation marks in our songs today? How long? Those are the martyrs under God's throne praying for God to come back and destroy their enemies that had taken their lives. You say, that just doesn't sound like a, a spiritual attitude. You can't get any more spiritual than being under the throne of God and having God give you an answer to your prayer. They said, how long? He said, till I get the rest of your brethren here. And as soon as I get the rest of your brethren here, he is going to drop flaming fire with his mighty angels on this earth. And there's one big gold-encrusted palace in the city of Rome with a great big male generative organ stuck out in the middle of a plaza in front of it. Mark your calendars for the second time today. He is going to come and destroy that place. Do you know how many people it's brought into bondage? In the history of the world, there is a war of truth and error, truth and lies. We want to love truth, defend truth, protect truth. Be thankful to God for truth. Pursue truth. Study truth. Lord, help us. Neglect of truth brings judgment of lies. God will send lies to those who choose a lie and do not want the truth. He'll send strong delusion to believe a lie. Christians are turning from truth to fables on a wholesale basis right now. 
Churches are to defend truth. That's why we're called the pillar and ground of the truth. Knowing truth should cause thanksgiving for it, prayer for more, diligence in seeking it, and zeal in defending it. As in the rest of the New Testament, there's warnings here about born-again children of God failing from their calling and not being as faithful as they should be. In chapter 1, verse 9, But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. We don't want that to happen to us. We don't want to be fruitless Christians because of a gospel that comes along in chapter 2 that promises liberty. You can live any way you want. It's contemporary, casual Christianity. Jude would describe it in Jude chapter 1 and verse 4, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. The Roman Catholic Church has always been a joke. As long as I've been alive, the jokes that have been made about it in school, that as long as you went to confessional and went to one Mass a week, you could live any way you wanted to. Do you know what kind of a carnal religion that is? We're supposed to, according to chapter 1 of this epistle, give all diligence to make our calling and election sure. And you know, Arminians aren't any better. They may even be worse. Because you only have to go to confessional once in your lifetime. And that's when you invite Jesus into your heart. And you can write down a date that you wrote Jesus into your heart in the flyleaf of your Bible, and you're going to go to heaven when you die, no matter how you live. Those are both lascivious forms of a corruption and perversion of God's grace. God's grace teaches teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. That's Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. Lord, help us. We live in exceeding dangerous times when the Christian world is spewing a lascivious and carnal brand of religion. And we need to resist it with all our might and not let it spot us with false brethren or false practices. If you flip from that first chapter where we were warned in verse 9 that we could have fruitless lives, and thus, if we have fruitless lives, we waste the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. To chapter 3 and verse 17 of this same epistle, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, before the Lord returns, because I've told you what it's going to be like, beware, beware, brethren, beware lest ye also being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. We want to be steadfast for the truth, the glory of God, the righteousness of His gospel. We want to be held fastened to the ground and not move. But notice, we're supposed to beware because there have been many that have been led away by the error of the wicked and they cause men to fall. We cannot fall. So we've got to beware. What do we need to beware of? A chapter of 22 verses and false teachers. That's the lesson. That's the warning that we want to have. Second Peter 2 has a fraternal cousin in the Bible, and it's Jude. So when you're reading Second Peter 2, you ought to read Jude. When you're reading Ephesians, you ought to read Colossians. There are certain things in the, when you're reading Matthew, what should you read? Mark. When you're reading Mark, what should you read? Brother, we are on track. When you read Luke, you ought to read John. There's four Gospels given to accumulate all this evidence so that we're getting views of the Lord Jesus Christ when He was on earth and what He taught in different ways. And Jude helps explain 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter 2 helps explain Jude. Just a little reminder there. Let's get to this verse. 
Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 1. I have so much that could be said by way of introduction about the importance of truth and the errors that are assaulting us today, but let's just get into the text. But, I'm so excited about that word but, and I know you've heard me get excited about the word but before, because the word but is drawing a contrast. It is making a comparison of two things that are very different from each other. And this but is wonderful. This but is like the one in 2 Thessalonians 2.13 that we began with this morning where we had God sending strong delusion for men to believe lies that they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation. That is a huge but. Do you know how big that butt is? Do you know that statistically, which is the way I was taught to think, statistically, we should be Roman Catholic. We should have filed into St. Mary's or Prince of Peace or one of the other Catholic churches in this city this morning. Done our duty when we walked in by grabbing a little bit of that holy water and crossing ourselves on our forehead and sprinkling it on ourselves. Going in there, kneeling on that prayer rail, showing everybody how holy and spiritual we are, waiting for the incense to come out and the ensigns to be carried up and down the aisle and the kissing of the Bible and all that stuff going on and Jesus Christ being brought down onto their altars, body, blood, soul, and divinity and stuffed into your mouth. The Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. We should be there, statistically speaking. There's 1.2 billion Catholics in the world and only 100 million Baptists. That's 12 to 1. We should be there. Or in a harlot daughter somewhere that's brought some of her abominations forward. But! Okay, what's this but for? What's this but here for? Because of the beauty of what we've just had laid on us in verses 16 through 21. In verse 19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. We have been given to us the Scriptures that are more sure than God manifesting Himself from heaven from the excellent glory to Peter, James, and John in the presence of Moses and Elijah and Jesus. Jesus is transfigured before their eyes so they see their eyewitnesses of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and of Moses and Elijah brought back from heaven with visible glorified bodies. Then they hear their ear witnesses by God's voice thundering from heaven and coming out of that cloud that enveloped them. We have a more sure word of prophecy. The Bible is better than that. Then that last verse, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, But holy men, holy men, spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Can you think of some holy men that wrote our Old Testaments? Can you think of Moses that wrote the first five books of the Bible? Holy men were just listed in context. Yes, I am a slave to context. It's got me chained and shackled to it. Because context is what tells us what these little words mean. But... Depends on context, because but is a comparison and a contrast of two different things. 
It is a disjunctive. It is not a coordinating conjunctive because it is separating two things and showing their differences, not showing their relationship in a positive way or their coordination, but showing their separation. And, and so I want to, I want you to get that 21st verse of the first chapter. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men. Holy men. The emphasis is on holy men. Spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Does Moses come to mind? Does Samuel come to mind? Does David come to mind? Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Haggai, Malachi, Zechariah. Do they come to mind? They're holy men. But we're covering 1,500 years of world history. A thousand years of world history. Of those men. And there's only a few of them that wrote the books of the Old Testament. But they were holy men. But there were false prophets also among the people. Now do you get that but? There were a few holy men that wrote down Scripture by the influence of the Holy Ghost. But there were false prophets. Those two words but and also are saying there's two sets of things running side by side here. And one is far better than the other. One is a group of holy men that wrote the Bible for us and that preached boldly. Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Moses and, and, and Elijah and others went and preached boldly the Word of God. They weren't afraid of men. They called fire down from heaven. They opposed Ahab and Jezebel. They killed prophets, the false prophets. They admitted that false prophets were filled with a lying spirit sent from the God of heaven. Throughout the pages of Scripture, there are these two classes of men. There's holy men, and then there are false prophets. And that word, but, after that glorious first chapter of the more sure word of prophecy, but, there were false prophets also among the people. I can only help you by the power of the Holy Ghost. I can't help you by volume. And The only reason there's volume is because I have been so convicted, excited, warned, Thankful, blessed by that word but. Because why, why are we not following some false prophet somewhere? Numerically, statistically, should we be following the truth or should we be following a false prophet? There's no comparison statistically. They greatly outnumber us and they have always greatly outnumbered the truth. How many prophets made it into the the ark. One. How many people believed and taught something else on the outside of the ark? Unknown. But. But. There is a war. We have the more sure word of prophecy, but there is a war. We have holy men behind our Bibles, but there is a war. We have the Holy Ghost giving men words to write, but there is a war. And the war is false prophets of the Old Testament being an indication and a promise that there would be false teachers in the New Testament. So we have these words. But there were false prophets also among the people, not just the holy men of verse 21, even as in the very same way, even as there shall be false teachers among you. Isn't that horrible? Those six passages of Scripture that we had read, thank you, Chris, for getting us started off right with Acts chapter 20 and your explanation that Paul was warning a church, the church at Ephesus, 
The church at Ephesus. Does it have an epistle named after it? Is it the first church addressed in Revelation chapter 2? Paul was there. The church at Ephesus. They burned their books before all men. The price was 50,000 pieces of silver. Out of that eldership, men were going to arise to lead disciples off after themselves. And Paul said, I warned you every day with tears that this was going to happen. That is horrible. There is a war. There is a war. They would be false brethren inside that church that would rise to lead men astray with false doctrines. That Some of the greatest false doctrines of the early church was Jewish legalism. Unbelievable. Adding circumcision and keeping Moses' law in order to be saved that the apostle had to deal with. But false teachers, unlike holy men, are going to bring damnable heresies into the true churches of Jesus Christ. What a difference between Moses, Samuel, and Jeremiah to Balaam, Zedekiah, and others. Zedekiah was the guy that was got down on his hands and knees with the, with the horns and tried to show Ahab, this is what you're going to do to the Syrians. You know, you're going to really be a bull out there. And Micaiah comes along and says, Oh, you guys, I saw heaven open and God sent a lying spirit into all these prophets so that they would say that you're going to have success today. But I happen to see Israel scattered like sheep without a shepherd because you're going down today. Mark my word. And Ahab didn't make it back from that battle, even though it was an arrow-shotted adventure. We should be so thankful for salvation from false teachers. Now, since this one's used so much, we could have drank the Kool-Aid in the jungles of Guyana. How many? 909. Jim Jones. Started out as a Methodist. Spent some time with the Seventh-day Adventists. Always a communist. Because those social gospel churches tend toward communism. The truth of the gospel tends away from communism. 909 drank the Kool-Aid down there in the jungles of Guyana. And you say, well, that's an, that's an extreme. Kool-Aid in Guyana or the host in a Catholic church? Take, what's the difference? You know what? I want to pick on Fred Phelps. Fred Phelps went to Bob Jones University, is well into the genius stratification of human intelligence. Was a, he's the he was he was he died last year. Same age as Billy Graham, at Bob Jones around the same time. He's he was the pastor of Westboro Baptist Church in Topeka, Kansas. Won a number of civil rights cases, arguing for blacks and made himself a hero in Topeka, Kansas. A number of his children are lawyers and, and good at it. They've won so many court cases in our country, but that church is so wrong, and that church, that church is so distorted in what they believe the gospel is. But you know, when you go to their websites and you look, they understand sovereign grace, phases of salvation, the explanation of John 3.16, the sovereignty of God, just like we do. 
when he's confronted and says, what, what are you? He says, I'm an unaffiliated Baptist that believes like the primitive Baptists. Does that sound pretty close? But they're out there with their placards ridiculing our government, ridiculing our soldiers, ridiculing our president in the grossest graphic terms possible. It's www.godhatesfags.com. It's the number one religious site in the world, or it used to be. From a little tiny church with 40 members, the last time they disclosed how many members they had. In Topeka, Kansas. That is wrong. We are not going to get distorted from the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul didn't care if the men in the Roman army were sodomites. The Apostle Paul never made placards and held them up at funerals against the Roman emperor. Do you know what he said to do to the Roman emperor? Honor the king. Honor the king. So, you know, when I picked Jim Jones, we could have been there. Or we could be in the Westboro Baptist Church in Topeka, Kansas. Or we could be like them. Or we could be in between the two of them because they're both false prophets and false teachers in the New Testament church. That isn't the godliness we want to be known for. That isn't godliness at all. Out there causing trouble at funerals, ridiculing our government with pictures of our presidents. And I'm including them right, right on back from the present one to the one, his predecessors. Lord, there's so many that we could be thinking about. Heavenly Father, thank you for your salvation from false teachers in every direction. Let's be thankful for God's pastors in Jeremiah chapter 3, a verse that I gave you recently. Jeremiah prophesied even though he was living in terrible times and no one liked him or his message. He said that God would give them pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. Those pastors compared to 2 Peter 2.14, where you are right now, let's see what they're called here. Having eyes full of adultery. This is a ministry having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls, and heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children. That's what God calls them here. Pastors after mine own heart, in Jeremiah 3.15, cursed children. We could be anywhere. You ought to read some of the blasphemous things that Jim Jones said about the Bible from a, from a man who started out believing the Bible. This paper idol, I'm going to destroy it. Oh, it's going to destroy him and, and the God that it represents and the Lord Jesus Christ that it represents. I want you to appreciate the fact, and we must appreciate the fact, because I started out this morning that we are bound to give thanks to God always for the truth that He's shown us and that He's caused us to believe it and that He has sent men to preach it to us. And because He's shown it to us and because we're thankful and because we realize the great salvation that we have because of the truth, we should hold it fast and never be moved away from it. Defend it and promote it as we have today. But... There were false prophets also among the people. In the history of the church, in both testaments, the false outnumber the true. We are part of a minority to follow the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Roman Catholic Church has dominated the landscape of Europe. Paul would say as early as 2 Corinthians 2.17, For we are not as many 
which corrupt the Word of God. Many. Look at it, it says here in verse 2, many shall follow their pernicious ways. Not a few, not some, but many shall follow their pernicious ways. That is the ways of judgment of those false teachers. Moses' law provided for false teachers. Look with me at Deuteronomy 13. Deuteronomy 13. We may not get very far today, but if we get this far, we'll have accomplished something. How thankful are you for the truth? How willing and how zealous are you to stand for it and to defend it and not let it be compromised? We have the more sure word of prophecy. We have that given to us by holy men. We have those holy men moved by the Holy Ghost. But then we have another class of men, false prophets, bringing lies in opposition to the word, the more sure word of prophecy, and they are moved by the devil himself. You had read to you from 1 Timothy 4 by Brother Orville that the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter time some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. We're not making that up. That's God's Word. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 13 and this warning. Start with me at verse 1. This is as far back as Moses in 1500 B.C. He has to warn about false prophets. Verse 1 of Deuteronomy 13. If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and giveth thee a sign or a wonder and the sign or the wonder come to pass. I wonder how many by reading this far would have flunked already. Well, listen. Their miracle just came to pass. I got to follow them. Did you see that halo of fire over William Branham's head when he was preaching? I've got to follow him. Man, a man who's got a halo of fire over his head, he's got to be from God. Because who else can make a halo of fire over a man's head? And a little child says, the devil. And we give that child a cookie. Parents, two cookies. The devil. That's who. It doesn't matter if a man can perform a miracle. God's going to expect you to measure that man by the more sure word of prophecy, not by miracles. Miracles aren't very sure at all. Ever seen a good magician? Can you figure out how they did it? Nope. So even good sleight of hand can whip your understanding if you're going to go by sight instead of the printed word. Watch this. If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and giveth thee a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder come to pass, whereof he spake unto thee, saying, Here are his words, Let us go after other gods which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God proveth you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Ye shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments and obey His voice. And ye shall serve Him and cleave unto Him. And that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he hath spoken to turn you away from the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of bondage, to thrust thee out of the way which the Lord thy God commanded thee to walk in. So shalt thou put the evil away from the midst of thee. What's the solution for false prophets? Two words. Kill them. That's an M. K-I-L-L space 
apostrophe E-M. Kill them! You say you're sounding crazy. Oh, as crazy as the Word of God. And that's where we ought to stand. But notice, His miracle came to pass. In the Bible is a warning. The Lord is proving you. The Lord allowed a false prophet to perform a miracle by the power of the devil or by the power of God in order to prove you to see if you would stand on what He said in His Word or if you would follow a man that could do a miracle. They're called lying signs and wonders because they're signs and wonders to confirm the lies of a false prophet. This is in the Bible, 1500 years B.C. They were dealing with that war. That war. Holy men of God, false prophets. Motivated by the Holy Spirit, motivated by the devil. Based on the more sure word of prophecy, remember, Moses is the one that said, man shall not live by bread alone but by every word of God. Deuteronomy 8.3 and lies. I don't care what holy book they use or what they say against the word of God. Lord, help us. But, but there were false prophets also among the people. Look at Deuteronomy 18. Yeah, Would you go back to 13, please? I haven't exhausted myself. There's still a little bit of wine left in the bottle. Deuteronomy chapter 13. It's not a prophet, but I think it may be of comfort to you today. If someone that you really love and some really close friend tries to lead you to believe a doctrine different than what we've been taught, are you up to the task? Are you up to the task? Is DNA important to you? Please don't let it be. Please let doctrine be important to you. Let me read it, verse 6. If thy brother, the son of thy mother, that ain't no half-brotherness, the son of thy mother, you know, dear mommy, you're both there at Mother's Day for turkey dinner. If thy brother, the son of thy mother, or thy son, or thy daughter, or the wife of thy bosom, or thy friend, which is as thine own soul. Now that's a pretty good friend. That's a Jonathan David friendship. Entice thee secretly. Privately. You'll need to remember this word secretly when you see privately, privately in Second Peter 2, 1, saying, here's this friend of yours or this brother of yours or a son or a daughter or a wife. Let us go and serve other gods which thou hast not known, thou nor thy fathers, namely, of the gods of the people which are round about you, nigh unto thee, or far off from thee, it doesn't matter, from the one end of the earth, even unto the other end of the earth, thou shalt not consent unto him, nor hearken unto him, neither shall thine eye pity him, neither shalt thou spare, neither shalt thou conceal him, but thou shalt surely kill him. Thine hand shall be first upon him to put him to death and afterward the hand of all the people. And thou shalt stone him with stones that he die. Because he hath sought to thrust thee away from the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. And all Israel shall hear and fear and shall do no more any such wickedness as this is among you. Amen and amen. That's the word of God. That is no different than what is taught by Jesus Christ in the New Testament when He said, Think not that I am come to bring peace on earth. I came not to bring peace but a sword, and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. His own household. 
Right here, right there, New Testament, Old Testament, it doesn't matter. There's a war for truth going on. Where do you stand? Don't tell me where you stand. Show me where you stand. It's always a show me game in the Bible. And it's not a game. But it's always show me. Don't tell me. He that saith I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. It's show me. Let us not be hearers of the word, but doers of that word. I hope everybody is comforted and established in God's word. It's very simple. It's very simple. But we are very sentimental. And the two do not go together. <clears throat> the, the simplicity of Jesus Christ compared to the sentimentality of the perverted, corrupt, deceitful human heart. Lord, help us. Amen. We want to be just like your word describes. Deuteronomy 18. Deuteronomy 18. Eli was a little too sentimental. David was a little too sentimental. Lord, help us. Deuteronomy 18, verse 20. But the prophet... This, this, I'm sorry. I like the inspired disjunctives. Notice that this verse is starting out with a but because the verses in front of this, beginning at verse 15, are God telling Israel and Moses that He's going to raise up a prophet just like Moses. You know who that is? That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Israel said, we can't take God speaking with us. He's just too powerful. It hurts too much. And it's scary. So Moses, you go up and talk to God. Then you can come down and talk to us. And God says, I like their proposal. I will send. I will raise up a prophet like unto Moses. And he'll come. And uh, he will tell you all the words of my mouth. And uh, if anybody doesn't like that prophet or hearken unto the words that he speaks in my name, the last words of verse 19... I will require it of him. I think I mentioned this to you last Lord's Day. I will require it of him. Here's Peter's rendition of that. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Did that happen? Everyone that wouldn't hear the Lord Jesus Christ, they were destroyed from among the people. Okay. So now we have a but. We have the prophet, the Lord Jesus Christ, the prophet that should come. The prophet like unto Moses. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. One of Moses' prophecies of him, right there in the verses leading up to this 20th verse. But, but the prophet which shall presume to speak a word in my name, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, many will come saying, I am Christ. But the prophet which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. And if thou say in thine heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord hath not spoken? How will we know when it's a false prophet? When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken, but the prophet hath spoken it presumptuously, Thou shalt not be afraid of him. Go ahead and kill him. So how do we know if they ever make one mistake when they are a prophet? A prophet is foretelling the future. A prophet says things that are going to come to pass. And if they ever make a mistake, it's over for them. It's curtains. Do we have a lot of prophets running around this country right now? They've said all kinds of things. 
Benny Hinn has prophesied that Jesus was going to show up physically and literally at one of his crusades years ago. That's one of many. But see, if one doesn't come to pass, that man is not of God. So we have the Word of God telling us, dealing with false prophets in the Old Testament. When Elijah showed up at Mount Carmel and told Ahab, would you get all the prophets together? And let's have ourselves a little revival. Let's find out who is God. How many showed up? 400 prophets of Baal and 450 prophets of the groves. 850 prophets to one. Who won? The prophet of God. What did the prophet of God do with the 850 when he got done? He took them down to the brook Kidron and slew them. If we, if we check into Ahab's life just a few years later, in fact, the last day of his life, does he have a new ministerial association? Remember, I've already been over this event. Micaiah the prophet. Can you believe that? Elijah killed 850. Elijah told Ahab, you better make haste to get back to Samaria because rain's about to fall. After three and a half years, Elijah proved himself to be the man of God. But what did Ahab do immediately thereafter? He got that ministerial association all built back up together again through the seminary program that Jezebel had donated to. I don't have time for, you don't have time, and I don't have time for all the examples, the examples of Nehemiah, the prophets that were hired against him, all the examples in the book of Isaiah, all the examples in the book of Jeremiah, all the examples in the book of Ezekiel, but they'll be in the outline for you. There are so many false teachers. There'll be one man of God and a whole slew of false teachers. Elijah, 850. Micaiah, 400. Jeremiah, false prophets. Ezekiel, false prophets. Hosea, Micah. Thank you, Lord. Even as there shall be false teachers among you. But there were false prophets also among the people. They just didn't have holy men. They had false prophets because there is a war for truth. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. So we come to the New Testament. You had six passages read to you already. Look at Matthew chapter 7 with me quickly. Matthew chapter 7. Oh, brethren, we are so blessed. What did Jacob thank God for? He said, Lord, I am not worthy of all the mercies that you have shown me and of all the... Truth that you have shown unto thy servant. We are supposed to be thankful for truth. We've been saved from so much. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Beware of false prophets. Look at Jesus. He's spending time in the Sermon on the Mount about false prophets. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing. Of course, because they come privately. They come secretly. They don't come openly. I have an agenda. I just want everybody to know I have an agenda here in this church. I want to move us to join the Southern Baptist Convention. It doesn't happen that way. It's subtle. It's insidious. It's secretive. It's manipulative. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Look at their lives and the effect of their ministries. Does it lead to holiness and godly living and worship of God, or is it leading toward carnal, lascivious living? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. 
Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. That's where false prophets should go. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. And I want you to understand that by context, we certainly want to include, if not emphasize, false prophets in these three verses because of what is said here. That they call Lord, Lord... Verse 22, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? See, this is primarily about false prophets. Do you know how many little children of God have run into these verses and wondered if they're the ones that are going to say, Lord, I loved you in my life and now you're going to cast me into hell? These are false prophets. We've prophesied in thy name. We've cast out devils in thy name and in thy name have done many wonderful works. Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. The Lord Jesus Christ, which judges the lives of all men and all ministers, will have his day in delivering his people finally once and for all from false teachers. Look at Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. There's been a constant war. We want to be thankful. You want to pray for your pastor. You want to pray for ministers in general. You want to pray for every minister that you think is faithful. You want to pray for ministers that are faithful, that might even be holding some errors in some points. I pray for them. I pray for them nearly every day. We want to pray for ministers. We want to pray for God to raise up ministers that will preach the Word of God boldly and be on the side of truth against all the false teachers that are so rampant. Matthew chapter 24, verse 4, Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed! that no man deceived you. This is for the 40 years between 30 A.D. when he said this and the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Look at verse 10. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets, how many? Many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive how many? Many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. The lascivious gospel of these corrupting perverters of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 23. Then, if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. Jesus warned in advance of all the false prophets that were coming. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. The Bible's filled with this. The New Testament scriptures are filled with it. I have to emphasize it. The Lord has led us to this passage and I don't care how slow I'm going right now, I want you to appreciate the truth God's given us and for you to be committed to it, to hold it steadfast, not be moved away from the hope of the gospel. Pray for your pastor. Pray for other pastors. Pray for God to raise up more against the lies that are rampant today. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 3. If any man teach otherwise, oh, Paul's strict. You heard Galatians chapter 1 read to you by Brady. Galatians 1, if any, if an angel from heaven preaches any other gospel unto you, let him be accursed. Do you all understand how local churches do some cursing? Did Paul say, if we preach another gospel unto you, 
Yes, he said, even if I, if I come around again and preach something different than I preached the first time, let it be me this time. Here he is again, the strictness of his words to Timothy. If any man teach otherwise, verse 3, if any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. Wholesome words are not the words used on Little House on the Prairie. Wholesome words are the form of sound words used in the preaching of the gospel by Jesus Christ and His apostles. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud. How do you know, Paul? If you won't humble yourself to the words of God, you're proud. Brethren, believe the whole Bible with me and save our church and our future and our children's future and our children's children's future. He is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. People who think, men, ministers, prophets, teachers, who think that gain is godliness. Well, that church is, the Catholics say we're the mother church. We're the biggest Christian church of them all. Doesn't that tell you? It does tell us something. You are the mother church, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And whatsoever is highly esteemed among men is an abomination to God. Gain is not godliness. The next verse tells us what we want to measure by. That sixth verse, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Numbers is not the measure of truth. If numbers were the measure of truth, there wouldn't be any truth found in the Bible. Because it was always a very small remnant following the truth. Oh, there's so many more of these. The damage that has been done by false teachers under the umbrella of Christianity. Do you know if it wasn't for the apostles, how many out of the 7.2 billion people on earth would be pagans? Go through a little math with me. If it weren't for the apostles, how many of the seven, all of them, all 7.2 billion would be pagans? So how do we get 2.4 billion Christians? Because the apostles turned the world upside down, and while turning the world upside down, they formed a very small remnant that was protected by God for the last 2,000 years, and this great big monstrosity mother of harlots out here committing fornication with the kings of the earth and spiritual fornications, filling her chalice full of them, Revelation 17, 1 through 6. And we've had that going on. The damage. One th- I've been through this with you men at the recent church history review. One third of the earth's population claims to be Christian. 2.4 billion. If you cut out the Catholics, only one third of those Christians are not Catholic. So we're down to 800 million. Only one eighth of them are Baptists. So we're down to one. See, when you take, when you take one eighth and multiply it times one third, times one-third. It's eight times three times three. It's one-seventy-second. So it's one and a third percent of the earth's population is Baptist. But do you know what? The vast majority of the Baptists have women, preachers, 
preach a social gospel. It's unbelievable. They believe all kinds of things out there. And we've done this before. And we come down to Lord God of heaven. Thank you, Holy Father, that you have hid these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them unto babes, even to us, Lord, your little children who don't know how to go out or to come in. You've revealed these things to us. We bless and praise your holy name because it seemed good in thy sight. The degrees of false teachers range from their sloth and envy to devil-possessed lunatics. The man of sin being in the latter category. There was Simon the sorcerer that Peter had to deal with in Acts 8. And any minister, if he's lazy, is going to cost his congregation the whole truth. I don't have time, brethren. Do you know that between the time of the apostles and the, and the 18th century, Origen, Arius, Augustine of Hippo, Pelagius, Gregory the Great, Innocent III, Boniface III, Boniface VIII, Martin Luther, John Calvin, Jacobus Arminius, false teachers in the New Testament church, leading men astray, some more, some less, leading men astray, leading men astray. In the last 200 years or the last two centuries, Jim Jones, Billy Graham, Al Sharpton, Jesse Jackson, MLK Jr., Malcolm X, race agitators. You know, when I have to read about Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson being Baptist ministers, when I have to read about MLK Jr. being a Baptist minister, how much did the Apostle Paul ever spend doing race agitation? The Apostle Paul went around denigrating his race. You know what it was? The race of the Jews, telling Gentiles that they were equal heirs in the kingdom of heaven along with the Jews. The Jews hated him because he went everywhere preaching against Jewish supremacy. Fred Phelps of Westboro Baptist Church, Jack Hiles, Ellen G. White of the Seventh-day Adventists, David Koresh and the Branch Davidians that came out of the Seventh-day Adventists, Joseph Smith and the Mormons, Herbert W. Armstrong and the Worldwide Church of God, Charles Russell and the Jehovah's Witnesses, C.I. Schofield and Hal Lindsey of Futuristic Idiocy, Benny Hinn and cohorts and so forth. Do you know how many false teachers there are and how many they number and how many have followed their pernicious ways? But the Lord has been gracious to us. We are nothing. It is entirely by grace. And if it's by grace, then it's no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. It is not by our abilities. It is not by our efforts. It is not by anyone. It is by the grace of God that He has shown us the truth. And according to the Word of God, He chose us to the belief of the truth from the beginning. I'm sorry in some respects I didn't get very far, but I'm not sorry. I want you to appreciate that word, but and how we stand on one side of it, and the vast majority are on the other side of it, and it is all of grace. And let us be faithful. Let us be like those holy men that went before us, that lost their lives, but they were not going to back down. If John the Baptist had an opportunity to tell Herod that he should not have his brother's wife, guess what came out of his mouth? It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And it cost him his head. And it cost the Lord Jesus Christ his life. And it cost the apostles their lives. But they did not back down from the truth. We cannot back down. We've been blessed with truth. And whatever truth we don't see, we are asking God to show us more. And whatever we're holding that isn't truth, we're asking him to help us flush it.
And we want to keep praying that way. We are not so proud nor stuck in our ways that anything we believe is so sacred that we would not change it if God were to send us a tsunami of Bible evidence that it is wrong. And we must keep that attitude. And we must pray that we are little children. We don't know how to go out or to come in. And will He lead us? May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word.